You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors come to share their stories, insights and tips. Now, back to you, Chris. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Dr. Bob Jones, the fourth grandson of Bobby Jones. Let me remind you about Doc's background. He was born and raised in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, which is located in the very western part of the state near the New York state line. He now lives in Johns Creek, Georgia, which is just northeast of Atlanta. He studied at the Minerad Seminary and uh, School of Theology, and he graduated from the uh, Georgia School of Professional Psychology, earned his bachelor's degree in English literature, a master's in divinity, and a doctorate in clinical psychology. He's working now as a sports psychologist. It has been really wonderful for me to get to know Doc over the past couple of years, and uh, boy, I couldn't be more excited that he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Good evening, Doc. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris. It is so good to be with you tonight. I always love being on your show. It's a real highlight for me. I appreciate you saying that, Doc. Sure. So, Doc, I wanted to start off our time tonight by getting an update from you on the uh, on the project going on for the Bobby Jones Golf Course here in town. They're completely remaking the golf course, and uh, as I've been tracking it online, it's scheduled to open this fall. Do you have any updates for how the project is progressing? It is going absolutely fantastic. The course has been uh, the course has been sprigged. And the greens, uh, a lot of the greens have been sodded already. The, uh, the it's uh, we have recently reached an agreement with the Chattahoochee River Project, a nice little compromise about tree planting. So uh, the environmental groups are getting happier. The neighborhood neighbors are getting happier because now it's starting to look like a golf course and not like a lunar landscape. Uh, <laughs> we are hiring uh, or have hired a general manager and in the process of hiring a director of instruction. Uh, we should probably have a couple of opening days in late October, which will be mainly for our donors to be able to see what it is that they have donated to, and then general opening to the public, I believe, is scheduled to be November 1st. Marty Elgison, who is the president of the Jones Golf Course, has said to me, if for some reason uh, that we look like we're having a little problem with the grass coming in, he said that I may have to cancel my schedule, and he and Chuck Palmer, our chairman, and, he, and, and I will all be out hand-laying sod, but we will open on <laughs> schedule. So it's it's you know you know I got to tell you it is uh Chris it is a great project it is going to be absolutely revolutionary and as much as a tribute as it is to my grandfather it is also uh absolutely the result of the vision and the persistence of Marty Elgison. When he first came up with this idea of renovating the Bobby Jones Golf Course, and he approached me with it, well, I'd known Marty for years, and I said, well, of course, we'll be glad to help you in any way that we could. Uh, privately, I was a little bit concerned that I might have to have him committed for such a crazy idea. And yet now, because of his persistence and because of his vision, uh, the city of Atlanta is about to be, see something that really reflects um, uh, just, just I think, it, it reflects what my grandfather would do if he were involved in a project in the year 2018. It's just really fantastic, and we as a family are very proud. 
So for folks that aren't familiar with the project, can you just give them a kind of a taste for what the golf course is like? You've got a reversible nine, which is going to be very interesting yes. to see. Well, what we had originally was uh, an 18-hole golf course that said it was around 5,800 yards long. And if it was 5,100 yard, 5,800 yards long, that meant you had your, if you're a right-handed player, you right had your right foot off the back of the back tee, and each pin would have been cut two feet from the back edge of the green. The course, the holes ran like right next to each other, and it was extremely dangerous. I mean, you could get beamed very easily, and many people did. The late Bob Cup came in and created this wonderful idea of creating a reversible nine-hole golf course. Now, we won't play it in reversible directions at the same time, but we will alternate them, obviously. There will be, uh, as I said, it will be two different nines, so each green will actually be two greens. The beauty of it is we're installing also a practice range, and we're installing something called the Long Leaf System, which was originally created by U.S. Kids Golf. And basically what that means is you'll be able to go to our practice range, hit a few balls, and we will be able to tell you what distance the golf course should play for you to have the most enjoyable time that you can have. And uh, we will be able to range that golf course for an 18-hole distance anywhere from about 5,000 or 5,200 yards all the way up to 7,400. It's going to become the home for the Georgia State University golf team. It will have an instructional center. And most interestingly, it will have a very short six-hole course that we've named in honor of Bob Cup called the Cup Links. And uh, in order to play the Cup Links, you must be 12 years old or younger. And for an adult to play the Cup Links, they have to be in the company of somebody who is 12 and under or they can't play. So it's going to be really, really exciting. Eventually, we'll have a new clubhouse that will house the Georgia State Golf Association, the Georgia section of the PGA, uh, and the Georgia Golf Hall of Fame. And we're looking at a few other organizations that may come in to make it truly the Georgia Golf House. And uh, we're just really thrilled. Wow. I, I would have never guessed that you were gonna, you could stretch that golf course out to 7,400 yards. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I mean, you can you you can go online and see the the di the diagram for it. It's really it's it's really revolutionary. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to see it. So I'm looking forward to November first and uh, and taking a show around the golf course. It's going to be a wonderful complex. Good for you guys. Yeah, we're, we're Doc, really pleased. Doc, like thousands of others, you know, here, particularly in the Atlanta area, I visit your grandfather's grave at Oakland Cemetery, you know, once or twice a year. And some of those thousands of golf balls that get left on his grave in reverence to him are mine. So, you know, what's that like for, for you and your family to, to be able to, to see? Because there's a nice visual for you how much your grandfather continues to mean to, to golf fans and golf lovers everywhere and the legacy that he left behind. Uh, it's it's so hard to put that into words. I mean, when you go to Oakland and you see um and you see things that people have left there. The golf balls are really amazing. Uh I will also tell you there have been times when I've gone there and people have left uh other things. People have left uh like books that are special to them. Um I've had several people who've left letters and whenever I can, uh, if the cemetery is able to pick them up, say, before a rainstorm, 
If I can get them, I always try to respond to them. We've had some interesting things that are left, too. Um, sometimes people will come and they'll leave their handicap cards. Uh, sometimes, uh, for example, one time uh, we've had a couple of people who are members of the PGA of America, which, by the way, my grandfather was an honorary member of the PGA of America, uh, and they will leave their PGA cards. The most interesting PGA card that I ever saw, at least, was uh, from young Joe Bonanno, who apparently was either the son or the grandson of the uh, mafioso bearing the same name, which is probably one of the more interesting PGA cards I ever saw. But wow. there's no way that you can see that and not be absolutely touched. I mean, you know, you stop and think about it this way, Chris. How many people are really remembered 100 years after they were born? Not very many. I mean, I don't know that I could name for you who the most valuable player was uh, in the uh, 1982 Super Bowl. I don't know that I could name for you even who competed. Well, I could tell you who competed in the 1968 World Series, but that's another story. But, I mean, my point is so much of what we think is important fades into obscurity over time. And yet, here we are now, this is 2018, which is 116 years after my grandfather is born, was born, and he still touches people's lives. And I just don't know how you can encounter that and not just be humbled by it, especially when you bear the same name. And Doc, as we look ahead a little over a month from now, we're going to have the Tour Championship going on here in town in East Lake, you know, being where it's played and where your grandfather grew up. Is, is that week that, that is something special to you guys still because it gives us a second opportunity in the year? Now, you know, math, the Masters in April, we obviously remember your grandfather. Here we go. Six months later, we have a second opportunity to remember your grandfather because of the course that, that uh, this tournament is going to be played on. I know you're you're uh, a member at uh, the Atlanta Athletic Club, so at a different location. But is this uh, mm-hmm. another week, a second week in the golf year that is still special to you guys? Oh, no question. No question about it, Chris. I mean, they came to us a couple of years ago. I had a meeting with them over at Eastlake uh, early in 2017. And they told me about their plan to make uh, the Tour Championship uh a real testament to uh, Bub's life and to his early years uh, and his accomplishments when he was a member of Eastlake. And I was just so thrilled by that. And uh, this year they're going to take it even to another level. And, yeah, it is – it, there is something that's very special about it. You know, uh, what, what Augusta National does in the Masters Tournament is really, is really quite remarkable. This is something that's being done in my grandfather's hometown at the course, uh, if not the club, at least at the course where he grew up and learned to play, and at a place now that is making such a huge contribution uh, to the lives of uh, young people here in the city of Atlanta. So, yes, it's absolutely moving to me and to my entire family. It's a great honor. Great honor. Doc, I want to switch gears a little bit now, and I want to get your thoughts sure. on the mental side and the mental, mental approach in the game yeah. of golf. And when we see a guy like Brooks Kepka, right, and how he goes about his business, so calm and seemingly unflappable, in the pressure cooker of a major tournament like we just watched at the PGA. Is something, can something like that, can that be taught? Can you work with somebody to teach them to focus and to stay in the moment the way that he does? 
Yeah, I think so. I, I think there are a few things that you have to do to be able to stay in the moment. Uh, one is, I think you have to have uh, a reasonable and realistic um, expectation of your own abilities. So, for example, I mean, uh, I think our tendency, for example, is to always try to plan our shots by what our best shot would be rather than what our averages actually are. Uh, so I think that's one thing. I think people have to have a realistic assessment of what they can actually do on the golf course. Given that, um, I think that um, you have to bear in mind something that is very, very important, and that is that everybody is going to hit bad shots. Walter Hagen used to expect them. My grandfather didn't expect them, but he knew they were going to come. But there's a real truth that I think if I could have everybody write it down and put it on their mirror so they could see it right at eye level every morning when they're getting ready to go to the golf course, the statement would be this. There is no shot that is so bad that losing your composure cannot make worse. <laughs> Seriously. There is no so shot that is so bad that losing your composure, composure cannot make worse. Uh, and I'll give you a very practical example of that. A number of years ago, I was playing in a tournament up at Highlands Country Club in North Carolina with Charles Harrison, who for many years was a fantastic regional player uh, here in Atlanta. And Charlie got on the ninth hole, which is a relatively short hole. And uh, he snap-hooked his tee shot, and it went maybe about 110 yards, hit into a bush, and bounced out uh, into the rough, maybe 210 yards away from the green. If it were me, I would have gone ballistic, at least back in those days. Charles just walked up to his shot, took a look at it, took out his forewood, and knocked it on the green eight feet from the hole. And as wow. we were walking up the fairway, I turned to him and I said, Charles, that was a, just a fantastic shot. And he said, well, you know, Bob, you just never know what's going to come out of the gun at any point. And that's a good <laughs> lesson. And that's a good lesson. You can hit terrible shot after terrible shot after terrible shot. And if you just maintain your composure and you just maintain your patience, then all of a sudden it can turn around on a dime. And we forget that in golf. Of course, I have another theory about that, Chris, and that is this. I think a lot of times when we lose our composure on the golf course, we're actually doing that for the benefit of those around us to let them know that we know that we could really do better than that. So I think you have to sort of check your ego at the door, know what your realistic expectations are, and then recognize that there is no shot that is so bad that losing your composure won't make it worse. And, and, and that sounds very simple, but I think that's really a key to playing golf, certainly a lot more consistently and a lot more enjoyably. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I wrote that down, and I'll certainly be keeping that close at hand uh, before I go play every round of golf. So thank you for that, Doc. Hey, if so it works, I'll send you a bill. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Appreciate you. So, yeah. Doc, hand in hand with that, right? Because I, yeah. when when we talk about you know emotions out on the golf course, I don't think there's any sport that has as much self negative talk 
than the game of golf does. And I'm curious, is that a learned behavior? You you mentioned about of course. how we have a bad reaction so that everyone else around us knows that, you know, we know that that was a bad shot and we can do better. But is the negativity mm-hmm. that comes around and the negative self-talk that we do to ourselves, is that a learned behavior in the same sort of way to, you know, hey, I now you hear me talk about how bad that shot was. Is that something that we, whether we're juniors and we do it in front of our parents so that, you know, we, we are afraid that we let them down or our partners when we're out on the golf course? How, how does it start? Where does it come from? I think it's learned. Uh, again, I think, I think it's an issue of expectations. Uh, I was talking with, uh, I, I think that expectations, you know, it's like last time we talked about goal setting, and this time I think expectations would be the big theme. I think what happens is we get these perfectionistic attitudes in our head that says that every shot has to be absolutely crisp. Every putt has to be absolutely perfect. I, I'll give you an example. I had a client once who said to me, he said, I had three three-putts the other day, and I should never three-putt. And I said, well, who told you that? He said, well, I don't know. It just it seems reasonable that I should never three-putt. I said, well, tell me where you were. And he described a couple of his situations. And there were a couple of situations where he had where I had to tell him. I said, I think you're darn lucky to have gotten out of what you had with a three-putt. You're in a terrible situation. So, again, I think a lot of that losing our, t- our composure and our self-talk has its roots in what our expectations are for our – and that is a purely cognitive function, and it is a purely learned behavior. So, yes, if it's learned, it can be unlearned, but it takes a little discipline. Also, bear in mind now, though there's a physical side to this too, Chris, and that is you have to be also careful. If your thinking starts going sour, bear in mind – that could be a cognitive problem, or it could be a sign that you're also dehydrated. So I'm serious about that. So, you know, what I would say is get yourself a bunch of water or Gatorade in your system. Give yourself a moment to pace it off and cool yourself down and see if your thinking doesn't clear up. So I would say the two are intricately linked. I appreciate that last part because one of our sponsors is Par Bar, and they have a, a product called Par Water, <laughs> and they talk about yeah. how when you when you start to lose even just a little bit dehydrated, you become a little bit dehydrated. Suddenly, your 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 thinking gets you know clouded. Your ability to hit the ball as far and as straight and all that sort of thing is, is impacted. So, and, kudos to and you your for that. emotional control and your mo- emotional con- people don't realize that is the first sign that they're going to notice is that their emotional control has slipped a little bit, and that means they're dehydrated. Absolutely. Doctor, just a couple more before we let you go. Yeah. And and one of the other things that struck me over the weekend at, at the PGA was the incredible number of photographers who were greenside snapping pictures of Tiger. <laughs> I mean, there, there was one scene, one shot of him, and he's trying to line up a putt. And there are hundreds of cameras pointed, like, right at him, like, right in his putting line, you know, if you will, if you yeah. send it out past the hole. And uh, how, how, can you train people to, to ignore that, to not see it, and not let that kind of distract them and get in the way, and now the enormity of the, of the moment becomes even larger than it already is? How do you, how do you block that stuff out? It takes practice. Uh, I mean, it, it takes a lot of practice. It takes being in situations like that. Uh, and, I mean, obviously, Tiger's learned how to do it because he finished second this last weekend and played extraordinarily well. 
So, yes, it, it can certainly be learned. And while the average player doesn't have to uh, know how to deal with cameras clicking in their face, the average player might have to deal with, especially if they're a little bit older, playing with two guys who have hearing aids and who are talking very loudly at all times during the game. And so it's the same challenge. And yes, you you can um, you can learn how to focus that uh, how to how to narrow your focus down. Uh, there are some uh, relaxation techniques uh, that I that I use a lot with people to help them with narrowing their focus. Uh, it's not a complicated process at all. Again, it takes discipline though. And Doc, you're also involved with some great charities and some great foundations here uh, around town. Yes. I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about some of the great things that you're doing and some of the organizations you get to be involved with. Well, I, uh, in a, you know, I'm very fortunate. I'm involved with the Robert T. Jones Jr. program over at Emory University, which sponsors an exchange between Emory and the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. It sponsors also the Jones program in ethics, which is a required uh, attendance for every graduate student at Emory. Uh, it, and it's starting to do a biomedical engineering exchange between Emory Medicine School of Medicine and Georgia Tech. So we're really proud of that. I'm also uh, been involved with the, what is called the Chiari and Syringomyelia Foundation, uh, which is the disease that killed my grandfather. I've been on the board of trustees there for a number of years. And uh, in the next uh, couple of months, we'll probably be talking, you and I will probably talk a little bit about how we're going to make that relationship between the Jones family and the Chiari and Syringomyelia Foundation a heck of a lot closer. And we're really looking forward to that as well. Uh Again, the Bobby Jones, uh, the Bobby Jones Golf Course Foundation is very dear to my heart as well. And, uh, so, uh, I, I stay busy. I stay busy. And I'm very, very, uh, I'm very happy, uh, with all of those projects that, that we're involved with as a family. So, yeah. That's all fantastic stuff, Doc, and I, I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show and sharing more of your stories and your insights with us. I hope you'll come back as we get close to the opening of the golf course or maybe right after the opening of the golf course because I oh. sure would love to hear, you know, your thoughts about how it went and, uh, and where, you know, we're going to go from there because it sounds like such an outstanding project. Chris, I'd be honored to. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you and your audience, and uh, I, I just appreciate your having me on. Well, I appreciate you, Doc. Thank you so much for your time. I look forward to catching All up right, with Chris. you again real soon. And between now and then, all the best to you and your family, Doc. You too, Chris. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. All right. That is Dr. Bob Jones IV. And, um, boy, just a, a wonderful individual. Means a, means a great deal to me. Again, this is the fourth time that he's been on the show. But uh, I just I, – I, something about – the interactions with Doc feel very spiritual to me, and then the advice that he gives. And boy, I tell you what, I wrote down what he put. There is no shot that is so bad that losing your composure can't make worse. You expect to see that out there from me on social media and and taped up uh, not only in uh, on the mirror in my bathroom to look at that every time, but I'm going to put that in my phone. So every time I go tee off on the first hole, I'm going to look at that to you know keep me uh, keep me in line. My son too when he goes out to play uh, junior golf as well. But Doc is a fantastic individual, folks. I can't uh, thank him enough for his time. And uh, I'm already looking forward to the project, going out and seeing the new Bobby Jones golf course, and then uh, obviously talking more about that with Doc the next time I get to have him on the show.